Great to be with you again, two weeks in a row. Wow, go figure, hey? Who, who, uh, who enjoyed Adam last weekend? Wasn't that a, just a great time to, to understand and, and make sense of the revelatory realms and the prophetic? Because sometimes, you know, those things of the spirit can spook us a little bit, but we needn't be concerned about those things. They're completely scriptural. And God wants us to engage him in ways way beyond our natural realm. How many of you know that we are naturally supernatural? And uh, we've lost that supernatural aspect of church because we've lost our connection to the heart of God. And when you have a connection to the heart of God, you understand the dynamics of how he moves, how the kingdom flows, and it's through the Holy Spirit. And Paul, the apostle, makes great mention of this. This was the great revelation for Paul that there'll be a new administration. And Paul was very much a man of the Torah, and he had that straight street uh, encounter where for three days he was blinded. And he then was so excited about the revelation that Jesus brought him. He had a personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. And the, and the truth that jumps out at me that, that I always keep coming back to, the fundamental truth was that Jesus completely identified himself with his people, with his body. When Saul was standing by, gathering coats and garments for the stoning and the death of Stephen, he was giving approval to a zealous religious righteousness. We've got to shut this stuff down. And he was wrong. He was fundamentally wrong. And Jesus said, why are you persecuting me the stoning of stephen was the persecution of jesus himself see jesus doesn't identify himself separate from you and i, I want you to think about that this morning as i as i deliver a message for you jesus completely identifies who he is in you and through you not just as an individual but as a people as a people let me let me say something very important worship can take many different expressions and so it should but a lot of those expressions are more for us than they are for God God looks through the smoke machine the wailing guitars the wonderful slick sounds and he looks yeah. if they're the expression of a heart that's connected to God that that expression is for him not for the applause of men and sometimes we concentrate more on the outward than we do on the inward Sometimes we concentrate more of how something looks to man rather than what it looks like to God. At the end of the day, God is more interested in your heart than anyone or anything else. See, man looks to the external things and makes a judgment about things. But God looks to the heart of man to determine the connection and the reality that they're really living in. Our heart is the most important thing 
that we carry in this world. But it's the most complicated thing we work through in the world. And when God starts to get hold of our heart, it starts to get messy. Who's ever had a messy relationship? Anyone? Oh, put your hand up, you liars. There's a lying spirit. I cast that out in the name of Jesus right now. Now, we've all had messy relationships. What's happening? There's something being built. Who's ever been to a building site? Who's seen a house being built? Come on, you've got to work with me this morning. I'm trying to engage you a bit. We all have, haven't we? We've all seen a house being built. Is it clean and tidy on the site? No, there's mess, isn't there? But in the mess, something is being formed, something is being developed. So at the end of the day, we can look back and we go, wow. But in the process, there was something that had to be established and something had to be put together. That's what God does with his church, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. Is that okay? Have I got your attention yet? So I really want to thank you for the way that um, Adam and I were received last week. Uh, I want to tell you that Adam builds his life out of a slightly different model, and he was quite taken back about the hospitality and the way that you received him and engaged him, especially the hospitality with Ben and Jess, and then the generosity. And you know, that's not always the case. A lot of these ministers, going from hotel to hotel, they get picked up at the airport, they get dropped off into a hotel, they go from the hotel to the meeting, from the meeting to the hotel, from the hotel to the airport, and that's what they do. But what you offered was relationship. What you offered were your hearts towards him. What you offered him was connection. And I, and I want to say this, that that is so crucial if we're going to build effectively into the future. We, we have to start looking at what God thinks is important, not what religion and man thinks is important, if we're going to build the church that Jesus is coming back for. Who, who wants to be that spotless bride? Who wants to be that church that's being built up together? There's a key phrase, together. And, and I want to go through that this morning. So I want to take you through a number of scriptures. But before I do that, I, I, I want to draw your attention to something in the scriptures. And, and, and as you go through the Bible, I hope that today will get you to go back through the scriptures yourself. Not just to listen to my message, but excite you enough that you will go, I want to have a look at that in the scriptures for myself. I, I want to get this revelation. As I said to you in the question of answer form last week, I've had the most extraordinary experience about how Jesus teaches me the scriptures. Yes, I'm an intellectual guy and I've got degrees and all of those things and I, I'm a thinker. I'm cerebral. But most of the way in which God unpacks the scriptures for me is first through an experience, an encounter or something in the revelatory realms. And then I ask this question, Lord, teach me this experience through the scriptures that it may become revelation to me. And, and revelation is amazing. Revelation simply means in the Hebrew to pull back the curtain and to come forward. That's what it means. It's like something was previously hidden, but like God pulls back the curtain and he just, this truth jumps out at you to take hold of you. But here's the key of revelation. It's a window. It gets you to see something. But I don't want to be a glass house. I want to be a doorway. In other words, the revelation has to become 
part of my life. I have to take hold of it, think about it, and let it become part of me. And when it becomes part of me, it produces naturally its power. When I have a revelation through my connection with Jesus, and I then receive it to my heart, and I think about it, I meditate on it, I then allow it to become part of me, it becomes power into my life. It becomes transformational. So we need not just revelation. That's wonderful. We can all have dreams and visions and prophetic words. It's what do I do with that? How do I receive that? And how do I let it work in my life? The classic example in Scripture is Joseph. Who knows the story of Joseph? He got an amazing word, didn't he? He got an amazing dream. Technicolor coat, a man of many gifts, man of many colors. The problem was that he so wanted the dream to become true, he spoke to his brothers that dropped him into a system and left him for dead. Sometimes the prophetic word that you carry is not yet for everyone else to hear, but it's for you to lay hold of. And the word that was spoken over his life tested him developed him until ultimately he got to the fulfillment what was the issue that God was dealing with from a young man to a mature man from a young man with a dream to an older man with a reality he dealt with the heart everywhere in scripture you'll see that God deals with your heart to bring you into your future everywhere the issue is the heart and no more no less than today the church has to come back to the heart of God if we want to know the heart of God. Who wants to know the heart of God? Hopefully I can reveal something of the heart of God to you this morning. So I want to draw out what, what Paul says. Paul speaks as a father, but identifies as a brother. Paul speaks as a father, an apostolic voice, but he identifies himself as a brother. You notice that? For him, he's not above, he's below. He's not apart, he's with. Nowhere do we see any of the fivefold gifts operating apart from. We see them operating below and with, connected, identifying themselves with the very body that Jesus is building. How many of you know that you're all part of the same body? Now, some of you may be one part or another. But if we don't identify our part with the rest of the body, what happens is we become powerless and the body it becomes diminished. When I live an individual life apart from others, not connected to God, not connected to others, I live impotent compared to the empowerment God wants to bring me into. This is why the church is not seeing what we want to see. This is why the standard of scripture is not being met. Not as a heavy yoke, but as a possibility in our potential. Are you with me this morning? Because we've lived in an individual world, an individualistic world, where the individual is prized above connection. Am I talking the truth this morning? See, we live in a world where everything is about me first, you second, if I get to consider you at all. Am I talking to anyone this morning? And so we think that's normal, but it's disempowered and disempowering. We are not meant to be made 
to be individuals separated from God or one another. Life is better connected. Say to your neighbor, life's better connected. You see, we are made for connection. But the reality is, and I've learned through my own journey, I don't know how to do connection. Just being honest with you. Because nobody's taught me how to do connection. And connection is not automatic. And sometimes we communicate, but we're not connecting. There's a lot of communication going on, but not a lot of connecting going on. There's a lot of talking, but not a lot of connecting. Because we've learned not how to hear and understand each other. We've learned how to defend our insecurities with each other. Am I talking to anyone? What I want to suggest this morning is the transformed life means we've got to renew our mind to renew our heart to come out of that pattern into God's pattern. We've got to come out of the worldly way of doing things and come into God's way of doing things. Amen? Why? Because God sees our success together, not isolated from each other. The world strategy through the demonic powers, the prince of this air, is to keep you isolated in relationship. The strategy of hell in the church, and you go, well, how can hell have a strategy in church? It's called division. It's the strategy of hell. The strategy of hell will get you offended with each other more than you are in love with each other. And if you don't know the love of God, you can't reveal the love of God. And we're trying to love each other with a heavy yoke. You can't do it. The only way you can love each other, the only way you can have something in common is if that you have something in common. <laughs> you see, we, we, we go from church to church and place to place because we're looking at the external things and does that satisfy our immediate interest? That's not what Jesus is building, friends. He's building something common. That's why it's a common unity called a community. We have a common unity. What's the common unity we all share? Each of us are joined together. As a friend told me just this week, I learned something new from a friend. Blood is thicker than water. And we go, oh, family blood. No, God's blood. God's blood is thicker and better and stronger than any relationship you will have in the world. Every relationship in the world is designed to come from Him. Every relationship is meant to come from Him. So that first connection is my connection to every other relationship in my life. How I steward that, how I develop that, how I engage in that shapes my marriage, my friendships, my ability actually to have a right identity and a right purpose in life. Everything comes out of God. But we are so used to living separated from the heart of God that we've built a culture in the world that says, I'll go it alone. Just stay over there. I'll do it for you, but I won't do it with you. Because doing it with God means you've got to stop long enough to be with Him. It means you've got to stop thinking about yourself long enough to think more about Him. 
We sung it this morning. From him, through him, and back to him are all things. See, this is the rhythm of the Holy Spirit that works in you. So let me take you to some scriptures to ground all of this. Remember that life is better together. God is building you together as a spiritual people. Why is that important? So let's go to Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10. I'm going to bounce on some mountaintops that my suspicion is you may have already covered in the last little while through some teaching through Ben and, and uh, Brad and others. So let, let me just remind you of some scriptures. Ephesians 3.10. I'm reading from the Passion Translation. And the purpose of this was to unveil before every throne and rank of angelic orders in the heavenly realm, God's full and diverse wisdom revealed through the church. You see, the church on earth, as those who've been joined together through the cross and the blood of Jesus, become this powerful unity, this powerful spirit people that reveal a truth in their lives and through their lives of the power of the cross that destroys every principality and power over people, cities and nations. See, what we've got to start to understand is we are part of a very big narrative. So often we just see in our world as just Jesus and me trying to survive in a world. But what if I were to tell you, you were king and priests, spiritual, together, that when you praise, when you worship together with one heart, connected to the king of kings, you operate as kings and priests to shift spiritual dimensions over hearts, over families, over cities, over regions, over nations. Because what sits over this nation is not yet God in his fullness. And the gospel is the power that destroyed every principality and power. If you go and read Psalm 22. Psalm 22 said the bulls of Bashan. Who are they? They were the gods that were being worshipped at Caesar, uh, Caesarea Philippi. The very place where Jesus picked the fight. And he said, right on this place, I'm going to build my church. And it's going to be spiritually powerful and practically, practically operational. It's not just being spiritual, it's being functional, it's being real, it's being the gospel in action, the gospel living in me, through me, and wow, it starts to shift things wherever I go. It changes my lives and liberates others. Isaiah 61 says, we are to be the liberators. We are the freedom fighters for cities and nations. Can I get an amen this morning? You see, why do we, why do we meet together? Because we build each other up into Him, not me. Because we are His house. We are His house. And His house doesn't look like my house. His house looks supernatural. His house is grounded in love. His house is built on His love and His truth. His house is built with his very life as the plumb line and the cornerstone to everything we do. We want to become like him. He's the capstone, but he's the measurement. He's the plumb line. He's the alignment. He's where I get my reed. Who's, who's ever done bricklaying? 
you'll know what a cornerstone is. It's the cornerstone is set. It's the measurement of everything. It's the measurement. It brings the house into alignment. And without a cornerstone, we just get built whatever we want. God wants to build something so solid, so foundational, so amazing through broken, ordinary people. Through broken, ordinary people. That it confounds the principalities and powers. Because of our love for one another, we start destroying the works of the enemy. We start co-laboring with Jesus and bring his victory as our victory into the lives of others. How do we do that? By greater performance? No, by greater love for him and one another. How do we know we are true disciples of Jesus? Because of our love for one another. Not my love. His love in me for you. But like every family, we have some bumps. Who's ever had a fight with their brother or sister? Huh? Now you can walk away, but you're still family. Sorry about that. And mum and dad can get a little, well, cross from time to time. But you're still their children. See, what I want to say to you is, is really, really important. When Jesus builds his church that is powerful, he builds it in a certain way. The foundation of the gospel is you being reunited, reconciled, brought back, reconnected to the heart of the Father in Jesus Christ. Why is that so important? Because that's where you live your life. In the heart of the Father. From the heart of the Father. And last time I was here, not last weekend, before, I spoke to you about the unconditional love of God, didn't I? Because religion has introduced this idea that looks like the world. If I'm good enough and I obey enough, God might love me. That's not the gospel, my friends. That is not true. You see, religion, by definition of Scripture, not me, flows from an orphan spirit. An orphan spirit, the most original orphan, is Satan. Why? Because he was removed from the presence of God. He removed himself from the presence of God to become a false oracle, lie to Adam and Eve, and thereby break the connection between Adam and Eve through disobedience to a love relationship with God. Who comes and restores that? Jesus does. See, we're so used to living apart from God, we don't know how to live with God. All of our training, all of our thinking, all of our values that we've developed, especially when you get old like me, is in the world. And the world pattern of thinking is built on our fallen nature. It's built on us living separated from God. It's built with me as my own king. It's built with me in charge and I'll check if God's right or wrong. Now you go, well, I, I don't do that. So that when the Holy Spirit comes to you, let me give you an example. I bet you you do, because I do. Just being real with you. 
When the Holy Spirit comes and brings you a truth that challenges your present existing thinking, what's your first response? You object a little bit. What's that going on? It's a new truth. It's a new way of living. But I'll determine if it makes sense to me. Why? Because I'm in charge of my world. Thank you, Jesus. Am I talking to anyone today? See, this is the wrestle. The wrestle is a bit like Peter. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. Oh, wash all of me. John 13. You remember that story? Jesus gets so offended that Jesus takes the lowest position in the house, modeling the heart of the Father. Do you know the word blessed means bent knee? You know when God blesses you, he goes low and bends a knee to give you a gift and lift you up? What Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He wasn't allowed to do anything that wasn't in the Father's heart. When he went low, he showed you the true way to live. He showed the true way to carry authority. He showed, he showed the value, the, the mandate. He said, hey, and do this for one another. Wash the grime of the world off of each other so you can walk together honoured and powerful. Peter didn't know how to deal with it, did he? Although Peter had his name changed prophetically, he was still Simon the Reed. He was still a man pleaser. He wasn't yet built on the rock of Jesus. You been with Jesus? No, I haven't been with Jesus. Soon as pressure came, there he was with Jesus in the moment. Oh, I love you, I love you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll walk with you forever. And Jesus goes, yeah, no, you won't, Peter. I know what's going to happen. The moment you're going to walk out of the door, you're going to go and please man. And he did. But you know what? God didn't leave him there. And how did he restore him? Hey, Peter. You agape me. See, there was communication, but there wasn't a clear connection. And Peter goes, of course I love you. I phileo you. You're a great mate. No, no, no. Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me unconditionally? Do you love me with the love I've given you? And he says, no, you're a great friend. Three times, God insists the way that he is going to become the apostolic father to build a church is through the restoration of unconditional love, a love that flows from the connection from the heart of the father into his heart. A love that looks nothing like the world love we bang on about. It is way more. And the only place you can get that life flow is completely yielded to its reality. But here's the problem. Most of our love experiences haven't been great. As we've grown up, we've lived as spiritual orphans, but also we've lived in an age where my generation of baby boomers were absentee parents. That means I was present, but I wasn't fully present. That means I was present, but I wasn't deeply connected. Are you hearing me? It means... That I was an absentee father because I was making provision. And the way that I expressed love was to give provision. But we need more than just provision in our relationship and connection in love. Am, am I talking to anyone this morning? And so, 
So what I had to recognize was that I had learned orphan behaviors as a father in the same way we have learned orphan behaviors in the church. Let me take you to a text. We know that we're going to have to be renewed, to transform by the renewing of our mind, which is the renewing of our heart, right? That's fundamental. I'm not trying to become something. I already am something. But I've got to learn what's in my heart, and that's where the mess is. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if we're going to be built up together, I've got to take responsibility for what's in my heart, not take responsibility for what's in your heart. See, I'm accountable to you, but I'm not accountable for you. God is accountable for you, but I'm accountable to you. Why? Because we walk together side by side. Amen? Now, look at the building of Nehemiah. Did Nehemiah build alone? No. What was the fundamental truth about this, this metaphor of Nehemiah, the Nehemiah's wall surrounding a city? They built together. They built it together, they defended it together, and they closed ranks together. There was complete unity under a common vision, but they each did their work in front of their house. They each had a responsibility to build. Correct? Nothing's different when when we come to Ephesians 2.11 when he says we're being built up together. Nehemiah becomes the shadow and type of the reality of what Jesus is building. Why? For the sake of a city. Nehemiah's walls are the ten gates of salvation. They're the ten gates that, that control the flow of God's kingdom reality in and out of a city. Who controls the gates, the spiritual gates of a city? The church. God's design. But what is currently influencing the city is not the church. Because we've given up the noble role that God's given us and we're now on the outer. Because we didn't understand our true identity, our true purpose connected to the heart of the Father. Amen? So let's have a look at Luke. I want to show you something. And I'm talking about the necessity of connection. Who's seen the movie Taken? Have you seen that movie? Great movie, isn't it? Liam Neeson is a gun. Isn't he? He's a, he's a complete gun. And, and when he hears he's got to get his daughter back in the first Taken, and then he... He loses other ones as well. I mean, he's had more loss than Muhammad Ali. So here he is. Is he a passionate father? Is he a father that's going to win his child back at any cost? Absolutely. And he doesn't care what the opposition looks like. Because he has a vision. He has one motivation. I am going to rescue my daughter from captivity and hostage to come back and be in my house because that's where she belongs. She's my daughter. That's what God does for you. You were in hostage. You were a hostage, but you were suffering from the Helsinki syndrome. Does anyone know what the Helsinki syndrome is? The Helsinki syndrome is when you've been with a hostage long enough, you actually like being with them. See, we, we've been held captivity in sin so long, we actually get comfortable with sin in our life. 
And we think sin is normal. It's captivity. Under a tyrannical spiritual leader, the prince of this air called Satan. We've been living in his house, not God's house. So who comes and rescues us? Jesus. He's a better Liam Neeson, I tell you. Liam Neeson doesn't get close to Jesus. And he hangs on the cross. Why? Because it was love. Unconditional love that allowed the suffering to release that which had been in hostage. People say to me, I'm not sure if God loves me. Well, go and look at the cross again and see how much he poured out of his life so that principalities and powers would no longer have a hold on your life, that you would be set free in his love to receive his truth as life. That's the power of the gospel. And that's why it becomes the center point. But we don't stay at the cross. We move through the cross. We don't stay at the cross. We come through the cross. Because now we have a connection to the Father. And we don't just have a connection as outsiders and orphans. We have a connection as insiders and sons and supernatural royalty. See, we've gone from being Oliver Twist in the world to royal sons before the king. Paul uses this language in Ephesians when he says the manifold wisdom of God is you're being built up in Ephesians 2.11. You're being built up to become this dwelling place where you have access, listen to it, as kings. As kings. As kings and priests. As kings and priests. We are not Oliver Twist begging for more, please. We are kings that come to the king's table of lavish, complete provision. Because of love. You see, Jesus had to teach this through the parable of the prodigal son. He had to explain to the Pharisees that they were as lost and disconnected from the heart of God in religion, in all their zeal and duty and obedience, as the son that was in the world. And God used the example of the nations, the younger son, to offend the heart of the Pharisees. You know the story, right? We know the prodigal son. The first son says, Hey, Father, you're as good as dead to me. How do I know that? Because in the custom of the day in which the scene and the parable is set, that's what would have had to happen for a father to make provision for a son's inheritance. You see, you would have been a landowner and you would have had stock on your land and that determined your wealth. It determined your favour. It determined your social position. Here's the story. God was willing to facilitate a bad decision of the younger son so that ultimately the father waiting 
for the son to come to his senses would come back home. Who's the parable talking about? It's talking about the nations, you and I. Why? Because the Bible said God wanted the nations before he birthed Israel. See, we don't know that, do we? God was always the God of the nations, but he used Israel as his vine out of Egypt. In other words, the fruit-bearing reality that would reveal him as king to all the nations. But what happened is Israel failed. Why? Because they got caught up in the same mess. They wanted to attach themselves to the other gods and the practices of the world instead of being a set-apart people connected to the heart of God. So they misread what God was saying through an orphan heart. When you mishear what God's saying because your heart's not connected to him, love and truth work together. You create a religious culture of performance for approval of God. God says you're already approved. You don't co-labor to get God's love. You co-labor from God's love. I don't obey to get his approval. I obey because I've got his approval. See the shift? See, this is what Jesus comes. He comes and he just reverses it all back to how it looked in Genesis. Am I going too deep? So Jesus tells this parable. And, 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 and have a look at Luke 15, 25. Now the older son was out working in the field when his brother returned. And as he approached the house, he heard the music of celebration and dancing. So he called over one of the servants and asked, Hey, what's going on? The servant replied, It's the younger brother. He's returned home and your father is throwing a party to celebrate his homecoming. Now, how would love respond to a brother, a younger brother at that, having made a really bad life decision, gone away, suffered, and now come home? What would love look like? You'd celebrate with the father. I'll show you what an orphan heart looks like. The older brother became angry. Spirit of comparison. Spirit of jealousy. He got more than me. I, I, I remember my kids, when, I, when we would serve up some chips, because we love chicken chip chip from a long time, and, and I, I would put chips in their plates. And most of the time they'd be good, but every now and then they'd say, he got more than me. How come, Dad, Dad, how come he got more than me? Well, there's plenty here. I didn't know you wanted more. But how come he... Spirit of comparison... Is the evidence of, a, of an orphan heart. Well, I want to be the head. I'm sorry, you're the little toe. Oh, no, I, I don't want to be the little toe. I want to be the head. No, no, no. No, you're designed to function to be the little toe. In fact, the little toe keeps the balance to the whole body. But I want to be in charge. No, there's only one head called Jesus. The head of the body is in heaven. The mind of God is given to the body through the Holy Spirit. And we are the body parts. But I want to be a big arm. I know, I've called you to be a kidney. The most vulnerable parts 
are the ones given the most honor. Get rid of your kidney or become sick in the kidney. See how well you function. See how well a strong arm functions without a kidney. See, when I compete and compare, am I moving in the love of God? I'm moving by a spiritual, as a spiritual orphan. Where's my influence? James says it's a wisdom that comes from below, not the wisdom that comes from above. But I've got to see what's in my heart to know how to respond. Does that make sense? The older brother became angry and refused to go in and celebrate. So his father came out and pleaded with him, come and enjoy the feast with us. The son said, father, listen, exclamation mark. He's mildly ticked off. How many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? What's he showing you? Religion. Built on principles, built on duty, built on if we get good enough, I might be able to please God enough to get something from God. But I'm not holding my breath because I'm a dirty, rotten sinner. And I don't expect anything. Really? That is the antithesis of the gospel. Look what Jesus says through the Father. As you've never thrown a party for me. Sorry, this is the son still speaking. Father, listen, how many years have I been working like a slave for you, performing every duty you've asked as a faithful son? And you've never thrown a party for me because of my faithfulness. What about me? It isn't fair. I've had enough. Now I want my share. Remember moving pictures? Those of you who are old enough, that song was a great hit. We all related to it. <laughs> Shannon, no, is it? It was moving pictures before him, wasn't it? Yeah, okay. I'm that old. <laughs> Never once have you even given me a goat that I could feast on and celebrate with my friends like he's doing. But look at this son of yours. Look at him. Let me judge him for a moment. He's come back after wasting your wealth on prostitutes and reckless living. And here you are throwing a great feast to celebrate for him. Now, Proverbs says, do not answer a fool according to their folly. Look how the father responds. The father said, my son, connection. Hey, my boy. You are always with me by my side. Everything I have is yours to enjoy. When we approach God with a worldly mindset, we sound like the older brother. When we approach God with a religious worldly mindset, we sound a lot like the older brother. And what happens is we fundamentally disconnect with each other because we're not connected to the love of God. Are you there? Why is that so important? Because we're being built up into something. Ephesians 2.19. So you are not foreigners or guests. You're not a guest in this house. 
Because this is God's house. That means you're a son and a daughter. That means you're valuable in this house, you're loved in this house, and you have a role to play in this house. In fact, God designs it that you all have a role that works together to build this house. And when when parts of it don't understand that, or we don't engage in that, then the work that God has intended for us takes way longer. Nehemiah's wall was built in record time. Why? Because they all built together. When we don't build together and we get someone to build for us, we overload the laborer. See, I can only carry 50 bricks a day, but I've got to, if I've got to carry your 50 bricks and your 30 bricks, because we each get different loads, if I've got to carry your load as well as my load, I get worn out doing my bit because I'm doing your bit and your bit. That's not how family works in God's economy. God says, hey, I'm next to you. I'm not the leader, but I can see you're struggling with your 50 bricks. Can I come alongside? I've got a bigger capacity. I can carry 100 bricks. So can I come alongside you? I've got my 50, but I've got a bigger capacity because I'm strengthened myself in the Lord. Can I carry some of your bricks so that you learn to get the capacity to carry it? Because I can see right now the load's a little heavy for you. But so I'll walk with you to lessen your load so you learn how to carry the load. I don't do it for you. I do it with you. Holy Spirit never does anything for us. He does it with us. Because when he does it for us, he takes our free will and our eternal rewards. Am I connecting this morning? So he says, hey, you're all being built up. You're not your children of the city of the holy ones. Watch this. With all the rights as family members, you have the same Inheritance, rights as Jesus. He is the first king, older brother of you and I. Because we're family. He's not the king out there that we worship that we don't know. He draws us near. He brings us close. We have the same father. We have the same bloodline. We have the same identity. We're children of God. We're sons and daughters of God. That's my true identity. I'm not an orphan. I'm not Oliver Twist. I'm a son. You're a son. And if you're a son, that means something significant. It means a place of prestige in the Greek. Not just maturity, but a place of prestige. You, you are being made, you come in as a technon and a nepios. A nepios son is a child that's like a baby. You haven't got it all worked out. But Jesus steps into your life and by relationship and co-laboring, both. Relationship and co-laboring, you get built up to maturity. To be a huios son. Why is that important? Because all of creation is waiting for the huios mature sons to arise. The cosmos is waiting for the church to become mature. The cosmos. Not the Gold Coast. We start there. 
but every one of us connected to God, connected to one another, putting our hand into the works God has assigned for us. As we relate, we work. That's Nehemiah. As we relate, we work. As we work, we relate. If we want to go corporate, we'll miss the connection. If you want to go familial, you'll keep the connection. What is the one thing we all cry out for? To receive love and to express love. It's the most primal thing we can do. And when that's not working in our life, what do we do? We perform our way to acceptance. That's why we critique each other. Yeah? Oh, well, look at you. I can see the way you dress there. I wouldn't dress like that. But I can understand. That's probably your station in life. You think of the measurements that we go on in life. If you're a lawyer, oh, to some, not all. But to others, oh, if you're a doctor, how do we measure our value on the scoreboard of materialism? Looks nothing like how God values you. Nothing. It looks different, doesn't it? So have a look at this. You are rising like the perfectly fitted stones of the temple. Perfectly fitted. That, does, that means not every stone is connected to every stone. Understand what I'm saying? So these stones are, are connected, but I might be connected here as a stone, but those stones are connected there. I might not be connected there, but I'm connected there. It doesn't matter because you're all connected. Do you understand? Because we have spheres of connection. Why is that important? As long as we're connected. That means not everyone gets chicken wings with me. But you might have chicken wings with the person next to you. Why? Because it's not about the leader being connected with everyone. It's about all everyone being connected with Christ so they can, can be connected with each other. Does that, does that make sense? Because at the end of the day, it's not Ben and Jess's house. It's God's house. He has a function to play like you have a function to play. But each one must do their part for this to work. Nehemiah, did he build with perfect stones? No. They were burnt. They were smashed. He used secondhand goods to build the wall. God takes us as imperfect, broken, and he knows how to fit us together relationally. And the glue, the, the, the cement, the mortar is the love and truth of God joining us together so we can be strong and significant for the sake of a city, for the sake of each other. How many, when you're struggling, love to hear an encouraging word? Anyone? Do we know how to build a culture of encouragement because we see the best in each other? Or do we know how to build a culture of criticism because we see the absence of something in each other. If you want to find imperfection, look at me. I'm imperfect. But I'm not looking to your imperfection. I'm looking to your establishing. I'm looking to see how God sees you, that you may become 
who you're meant to become. We need to build a culture of encouragement because sons encourage each other. Orphans compare each other and criticize each other because it's about who gets most attention because of their performance. It's not meant to be in the church. The entire building is under construction and is constantly growing under his supervision. God doesn't miss a thing. It's under his supervision. Who's building the church? Jesus. We all have a role to play. Who's building it up? He is. Whose spirit is moving in every heart? His. Whose truth is building in every heart? His. Will some receive it better than others? Yeah, we have early adopters and we have late adopters. If I'm an early adopter, what do I do with a late adopter? I come alongside of them and model it until they get it. Because the kingdom is more caught than it is taught. Because we are image bearers. You know what that means? We image each other. Who's, who's heard the proverb, sleep with dogs, you get fleas? What? Does dog, do dogs have fleas, right? So what you hang around, hang around is, is what you become. Yeah? So if you hang around positive, loving people, what do you become like? If you stay there long enough. Because at first you're going to be confronted by that because your narrative looks different than their narrative and you want to change them to your narrative. Who's ever had a discussion with someone and I want you to see my point of view? Gee, I can't believe they don't see my point of view. Why? Because they, you want someone else to be like you. It's called imaging. And we all do it. The only image we're meant to be imaging is Jesus. <laughs> and as I become more like Jesus, that imaging encourages you to become more like Jesus. But if we've got no connection, we've got no ability to mirror one another. It's more caught than taught. Is this helpful? So we're better connected. And that means that we're designed to relate and connect. But we've got to learn how to do that. You can't do that without a heart of love. Corinthians 12. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. Why do I raise this? Because this is the text that Paul says, if you don't have love, all that God gives you for the benefit of others has no work to do. The spiritual gifts are part of our inheritance. They're part of me carrying something the Holy Spirit gives me for you. The gifts, the, the gifts given to me by the Holy Spirit, and Paul takes us through Corinthians 12 to say that there's a variety of gifts. Now, now here's the teaching of old that, that, that I want to offer another thought about. We've often thought, what is my one spiritual gift? It misunderstands what Paul's talking about with due respect. All the gifts are available when I move in the way of love towards you. How do I know that? Because Jesus was never limited in the way God could move through him. And the trigger for Jesus was, I have compassion on them. 
That was the Holy Spirit trigger that he knew God wanted to move on him and through him. John 14, he said, hey, don't you know these things that I do is the Father working through me. In other words, the gifts are not ours. The gifts are not ours. They belong to God. For who? For you. Now, here's the thing. Sometimes I don't want to move in the gifts because I'm worried I'll get it wrong. Or I'm worried that I don't know how. How did you learn to walk? Because you read a book about it? Or you went and did it? Did you have a few fallovers? As a kid, did you care? I've got no memory of my mistakes learning how to walk. But thank God I learned how to walk. What did I say on last weekend? I said, just because you've got a library card doesn't make you Yoda. You've got to take that and learn the experience of that and develop it. Will it mean you get everything right? No. It's part of growing up. And when we've got love for one another and we have a heart for one another, we are seeing what is going on. We are seeing that that person is being developed and you're trying to develop me. We go with a grace and an understanding towards each other so we all can grow. Does it mean if you, if you bring a prophetic word that's way off, I receive it? No, I won't. Because I've got the Holy Spirit in me as well and I know that's not right. But do I encourage you for the fact that you went bold enough to step out of your comfort zone to bring it? Yeah, hey, I celebrate you stepping into the gift. But can I love you enough to ask you how you felt to develop you in the gift? Why? Because the gifts build us up. And when I don't want to move in the gift, I'm losing a resource that God has given to the church to build someone else up. If my motivation is love, I want to build you up. I don't want to tear you down. We are really good at tearing each other down so that I get built up. Is that the spirit of love? Am I living as a son? No. I'm living as a religious spiritual orphan. So once I start to identify my own behavior, what happens? I can go, oh, that's not beneficial. What's that going on in me? Is that going to build that person up? Are my words going to be edifying? Or am I going to just be self-promoting me? All of these things are called self-awareness. And that means I consider others, not just myself. What does love do? It considers others, not just myself. When we start building in this way, when we start seeing that we're all needed, when we start owning it together, what happens is a super acceleration of maturity and Christ being formed in us. A super acceleration. And it starts with our true connection. If I'm not connected there, I can't be right connected here. When I'm rightly connected there, I want a right connection there. Because when you're hurt, I'm hurt. When you're disabled, we're disabled. When you're honoured, we're all built up. It's like the three musketeers. You can only build something significant as Christ is at the centre. You can only administrate it through the Holy Spirit. 
through a heart that's connected to God to allow us to find a common unity to give expression of who we are to each other. Not to pull them down, to build them up. And God lands on that environment that reveals the power of the cross to the principalities and the powers. My worship isn't a religious exercise. It's my constant praise for the one who gave it all that I may have it all. Amen? I want to leave it there. My notes will be available to you if you want. I, I sort of strayed a little bit from my notes. Notes, I tend to. But I, I just want to pray for you now. And can I just, just, is there anything that I've said that you've felt the Holy Spirit touching in your heart this morning? For some of you, it can be, wow, I needed to hear that again. For some of you, I've never heard that before. For some of you, it's, mm, okay, I'm hearing you, Lord. Maybe I need to make that little adjustment. Because that's what the Word does. The Word, and carried with a heart for you, pierces through to bring you back into alignment with heaven. It comes back and reestablishes you in the truths of God and the love of God. I believe... We are in the perfect storm as the church. We've got a world that is absolutely the most broken, the most broken that history has ever seen. We we have lived in an intellectual world where postmodernism has destroyed all the things of modernism, including God. We're no longer in the center, guys. We're on the fringe. And unless the authentic Jesus is revealed, I don't believe we'll reach the world. I don't think we can transform the world. The authenticity of Jesus is first built in his house through everyone. Let me pray for you. Father, you're extraordinary. And you're not worried about the external things as much as we are, but you're worried about the heart and you, that's where the renovation takes place. That's where the building work takes place in our heart. And Holy Spirit, I, I, I just pray right now that you would move on hearts. That you would rewire mindsets. That you would heal those emotional hurts those childhood hurts that I see, those longings as a little child to a father that was not met. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just bring your healing power this morning to touch those emotional pathways, to touch those emotional wounds, and to heal us. even now I see Father the Holy Spirit coming in like a flood like light and darkness, fear and doubt is being removed and I thank you for that Father I thank you that the power of fear is being broken right now and Father I thank you for the spirit of revelation wisdom and understanding I thank you Father 
for what you are putting in to their hearts to cause them to live transformed even now. And Father, I just pray for your grace to be upon everyone here, to empower them even as they go, to establish them in you, Lord. And Father, that we would see through the bumps and that we would see through the mess and that we would see our own hearts before we judge another heart. That you would work on us before we say, go work on someone else. That we would now learn how to be free in you, self-governing by the power of the Holy Spirit and responsible as kings. We identify with you as your sons and daughters. We identify that we have been adopted into your family and our hearts confirm it through the power of the Holy Spirit that says, Abba, Father. We confirm today that we are yours, that we are your royalty on earth. And we no longer live as orphans, but we come back to the house celebrating and celebrated. I just want to say, if you have felt you've walked at a distance with God in this last season, why don't you just make a decision today? I just feel the Lord saying, it's time to come home. It's time to come home. It's time to come home. You've been trying a million things. You've tried to get satisfaction everywhere else. You've tried to fill that love desire in lots of other things. And it's a bit of a mess. It's not working for you. If that's you, what do you just say to the Lord right now in your heart? I'm coming home. I'm coming home. And I'm going to learn to live as a son with all the rights of inheritance in this season. I'm going to learn the way of your love, not the way of the world's love. I'm going to learn how to encourage not critique. And I'm going to learn how to be the difference, not the commentary. I want to give expression to this, that it may become real in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Worship anyway.